Scripture reading today will be taken from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the later end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, and a sow, having washed, to her wallowing in the mirror. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. It's been a good day. We're grateful for another baptism. We're very thankful for those who have been baptized into Christ in the last couple of weeks. We have a great youth group, and I think that all of us ought to be very grateful for the fact that our youth group is booming, and we're very thankful for their enthusiasm, the fact that they are learning and growing, and that they are maturing in the faith, and we want to do everything that we can to encourage them in their walk with Christ. And we want to do all that we can to be an encouragement to those in our community who are outside of Christ that they might come to know the truth and thus obey it. We're going to be looking tonight at 2 Peter chapter 2, specifically verses 20 through 22, the passage that was read just a moment ago by Danton. And we're going to be thinking about the theme, you are in trouble if you go back. Those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we have literally pledged our lives to the Lord. In essence, what we have done is said that we are going to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord come what may. We are going to be committed wholeheartedly to the service of Christ. We are going to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, according to Matthew 6. Verse 33, we are going to die to the love and the practice of sin and thus resolve within our hearts to live fervently in the kingdom of Almighty God. Unfortunately, there are times when we obey the gospel and the tug of the world, the appeal of the world is so strong that we give way, yield, and thus find ourselves back in the state wherein we had at one time come out of. That is, we go back to the world. And so what we want to do tonight is look at what Peter has to say and think about the fact that if we do make that choice to go back to the world, that we are indeed in serious trouble. And so we're going to think about that for just a moment. The first thing I want to call your attention to in our study tonight has to do with our escape from the world. And this really accentuates our deliverance from the world. Now, Paul in Colossians 1 talks about those of us who have obeyed the gospel of Christ. He said, we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It is in that sphere, he said, that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in Colossians 1. Verses 13 and 14. Peter, as he talks about our escape from the world, he accentuates some things that I think ought to, to help us to see the relationship that we enjoy with the Lord and the 
the means by which we have entered in to this divine relationship. First of all, he emphasizes the pattern for our salvation. And really the pattern for our salvation is scripture. Listen to what Peter said in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions or the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowledge is a key word in this verse. How do you and I acquire faith in the Lord? Well, Paul said in Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or by the word of Christ in Romans 10 verse 17. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Now we understand the importance of divine truth. Peter, in, well in chapter 1 of this great book, he talks about how God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When Peter said that God has granted unto us or given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's talking about God's word. And the fact that in this word, everything that you and I need to know about life and godliness has been revealed. And thus, in light of that, there is a premium, a premium placed on divine truth. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Jesus emphasized the importance of truth in John 8, verse 32, when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You and I escape the corruption that is in this world. We escape the pollutions of the world through a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, through the Scriptures. Now think for a moment about the Gospel, or think about the Scriptures. First of all, there are some facts that must be believed. Peter here talks about our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you and I know about the deity of Christ is ultimately tied to Scripture. Now I understand that there are secular writers that have have talked about Christ and there are historians that have verified or authenticated the historical Jesus. But when we talk about the Son of God and about what we need to know about Him, well, we find that where? In the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul talked about the gospel that had been delivered unto the saints in Corinth, he summed it up by saying that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so we come to understand and appreciate the work of Christ. And so there are some facts that ultimately must be believed. There are also commands that must be obeyed. There are certain things in scripture that you and I are called upon to obey. How do you and I escape the corruption that is in the world through lust? Well, we obey the gospel. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What is the gospel plan of salvation? Well, Jesus said, Except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. The Hebrew writer talked about how without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him, that is, to Almighty God, Hebrews 11, verse 6. We have to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. 
to confess the name of Jesus before others, Matthew 10, 32, and then to be immersed in water so that our sins might be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. Those are commands inherent in our relationship to the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles which you do except God be with him. Well, he believed that Jesus was a good man. He wasn't necessarily certain that Jesus was deity, that he was the Messiah, but he understood that he was someone very special. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he said, Marvel not, you must be born again. That's a command. If you and I want to enjoy a relationship with God, we have to be born again. When we're born again, what happens? Well, we are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1 at verse 7. And so there are facts that must be believed, commands that must be obeyed, and promises to be enjoyed. Peter talked about how God has bestowed on us exceeding great and precious promises. Think of all of the promises that are contained in the Scriptures. Every promise validated by the blood-sealed covenant of the Son of God. Whatever Jesus said in His Word, whatever promises are made in the New Testament, you and I, we can literally take it to the bank. He'll fulfill it. We today live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Why do we live the Christian life? Because we live in hope of life eternal. Do we believe that? Absolutely. Is that a promise? Yes, it is. We can take it to the bank. We can... We can rest assured in that, great, in that great promise. And so first of all, Peter talks about this pattern for our salvation, but then also he accentuates the person of our salvation. Look again at what he said. For if after they have escaped the corruptions or the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the central figure of the New Testament? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who is the central figure of the Old Testament? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Old Testament is affirming the fact that the Christ, the Messiah, the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 will come. The New Testament is an affirmation that Christ has come. Why did Jesus come to earth? To save me from sin. In Matthew 1, verse 21, the angel of God appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said that Mary, his wife, would conceive that she would, well, that which had been conceived in her, he said, was of the Holy Spirit. He said, she shall bring forth the Son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he that will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save people from sin. Now, one of the things we need to understand and appreciate is this, and that is that salvation is only in and through Jesus Christ. The Lord said, I am the way. That is, I am the exclusive way. I am the way, the truth. That is, He is the exclusive truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is, the exclusive way to life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. 
Luke said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is not a politically correct statement, but it is a scripturally correct affirmation by Luke, the inspired historian. That's exactly what the Bible says. There is salvation in none other. It is exclusively in Jesus Christ. And so we talk about the person of our salvation. We've looked at the pattern for our salvation. But then I want you to also think about very quickly the price of our salvation. I said a moment ago that there are some facts that must be believed. When we talk about the price of our salvation, we need to understand that it cost Jesus dearly. He made a tremendous sacrifice on our part. Now Peter in his first book talks about the sacrifice of Jesus and he, he really accentuates two things. Number one, he points out that Christ paid the price for our salvation by the shedding of his blood in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He said, you are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather he said, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that your faith and hope might be in God. Jesus Christ shed his blood for our sins. Ultimately, the means by which we escape the world is based or predicated on the sacrifice that Jesus made, the shedding of his blood, and then the giving of his body. Now, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness by whose stripes, he said, you were healed. And really this takes us back to Isaiah chapter 53. When Jesus observed the Passover meal with the apostles, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And he talked about how the bread would remind us or symbolize to us the giving of his body. And he said, when we partake of that bread, we need to be reminded of the body given in our stead. He said, this do in remembrance of me. When he, when he instituted the cup, the fruit of the vine, he said, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9 verse 27. And so we have been, we have been delivered out of the corruption, the pollutions of this world through the Lord Jesus Christ, based upon that great sacrifice. But now I want to call your attention to a second thing in our text. First of all, we talk about our escape from the world. But secondly, Peter talks about our entanglement in the world. It's one thing to come out of the world. It is another thing to go back into the world. And sadly, some people do. Some people, for whatever reason, make the decision to go back into that life of sin, that state of sin, that life of corruption or pollution. And so Peter talks about that. Note, if you would, what he says in verse 24, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Now, I, I personally 
do not see how anybody in his or her right mind demonstrating an honest and good heart could ever buy into the doctrine that says once saved, always saved. That is a false doctrine to the core. Why? Because Peter just said that here are people that have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through lust, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then they are entangled therein and overcome. What happened? They went back into the world. They gave up their fellowship, their communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, I guess maybe we need to emphasize the deception that takes place. When people go back into the world, what happens is they are deceived by the culprit, the devil. The devil is, is at the root of sin and unrighteousness because the devil is called the tempter. That's what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted by the devil. You and I today, we are tempted by whom? By the devil. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, said, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Well, Paul understood that the devil is subtle, that he's cunning, and he is the culprit. When people go back into the world, what they've done is fallen prey to the devices of Satan. They've been deceived. They've gone back into that old way of life. And so first of all, we accentuate the culprit. But then I want you to think with me for just a moment about the charm or the devices that are employed by the devil. Look again at what Peter said in verse 20. He talks about those who have escaped the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he said, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Why do people go back into the world? Why is it the case that there are people who at one time were faithful, loving, serving, dedicated members of the body of Christ who today no longer live faithfully for him. Let me give you some, some reasons why people go back into the world. And let me give you some, some practical reasons, some devices that are employed by the devil. Number one, I would submit unto you that the devil seeks to undermine our faith through pleasure. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, the Hebrew writer talks about the faith of Moses. And he said that Moses esteemed the afflictions of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And he goes on to say that he forsook the treasures in Egypt, recognizing, he recognized that Sin is a passing thing. In other words, he understood that, that life is temporal. And the Hebrew writer talks about the passing pleasures of sin. How many people, young and old, rich or poor, black or white, have been caught up in the passing pleasures of sin? You ever thought about that? 
You ever thought about how the devil can paint a picture of pleasure? And he can make us think that pleasure is in things that really are to our detriment, to our harm. I think about God's people that at one time were faithful, loving members of the body of Christ. They were present every time the doors were open for the worship services, for Bible study. And then they got caught up in the pleasures of the world, the passing pleasures of sin, to borrow the words of the Hebrew writer. What happened? They got deceived. Have you ever seen somebody who at one time they were faithful to the Lord and now they're out bar hopping? They're going to, they're going to the casinos. They're wasting their money on drugs and alcohol and, and dancing, you name it. They're out here wasting their, their life away in sin. There are a lot of people like that. And sadly, there are some people within the body of Christ, they get deceived into thinking that that way of life is how to maximize fun. In other words, that's where fun is. One of the, I think one of the, the tools of the devil is to, is to deceive young people into thinking that if you want to have fun, then what you've got to do, you've got to spend time with the wrong crowd. You've got to be among the more popular. And you've got to, you've got to gain, you've got to have good standing among your peers. And if you really want to be popular, what you need to do is you need to drink and you need to have sex outside of marriage and you need to do all of these other things that will make you a part of the in crowd. That is the devil's lie. That's a lie from the devil. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ, we have a relationship with the Lord. What the devil wants to do is pull us away from the Lord. He wants to extract us from that relationship. He's trying to do everything that he can to circumvent our faith in the Lord. So one of the ways that he does that is he appeals to us through pleasure. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You show, you show me somebody that makes a conscious decision to go play golf on Sunday rather than coming to worship service, or to the worship services, I'll show you somebody that has fallen in love with the world and who is now a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Show me somebody that wants to spend time out hunting on Sunday morning rather than being in worship services. I'll show you somebody that has a problem, spiritually speaking. They've fallen in love with the world. They've been deceived by the pleasures of the world. The idea is... I can have more fun out here doing what I want to do rather than what God through His Word has instructed me to do. That's just a couple of examples. But the idea of pleasure, a second way that the devil seeks to circumvent our faith is through power. Power is a very intoxicating thing. It can literally be insatiable. People that have power, typically they, they want more power. It's like money. The more you have, the more you want. Well, 
There are a lot of people that have sold out their faith in God because of a lust for power. Here's what Jesus said. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You may have everything this world has to offer. But if you have renounced your allegiance to the Lord and gone back into the world, you may have all that this world has to offer, but you've lost that which is most important, and that is your faith. There are a lot of people that have sold out because of a lust for power. And then there's another term that is used in Luke 15. It's the word profligate, profligacy. The word really means wastefulness. Another way that the devil appeals to us is through profligate living. Read the story that Jesus narrates in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. He went out into that far country and the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living, with profligate living. His brother accused him of spending his inheritance on prostitutes. And the word carries with it the idea of immorality. A debased lifestyle. You see, that's, that's what the devil wants us to think. He wants us to think that if we're living the Christian life, then we are, we're just a bunch of, of prudes. We're square. We're not a part of the in crowd. What we need to do is loosen up. Become more like the world. Make some concessions. Well, look at the prodigal son. Look at the problems that he faced as a result of his ill-fated decision to leave his father's home and go into the world. Another, another device that is employed by the devil is pride. When you go back and, and read Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that one of the problems that led to the downfall of, of Mother Eve was pride. Satan appealed to her the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, but the pride of life. Satan said to the first couple, if you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride is a powerful tool of the devil. And there are people that have left the church, they've left the Lord because of pride. Solomon said pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then finally, the devil can appeal to you by means of your pocketbook. Money can be a great incentive we work today because we have to make a living. and We have bills to pay. All of us have, have bills to pay. But there are some people that will make money their God. Paul talks about the dangers of allowing money to become preeminent in our lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said in verse 9, But they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare, and many foolish and harmful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. In verse 10, he said, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men, having reached after, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows, listen to him, and been led astray from the faith. Is there anything wrong with a good, hard-working, industrious spirit? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with wanting to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with working on a daily basis to provide for our family? No, there's not. 
As a matter of fact, if we don't do that, we're in violation of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, for not providing for our own. But if we get to the point where all we're concerned about is the almighty dollar, and we're working seven days a week, 24-7, and all we can think about is money, money, money. Well, the devil has us where he wants us. Because you see, what the devil has done, he has rooted God out of his place of preeminence in our lives and put the almighty dollar in his place. Think again about what Paul said. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men, having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. The world has been littered by God's people that have walked away from a faithful relationship to the Lord because of a love of money, a love for the Almighty Dollar. Listen, the devil, the devil knows what he's doing. Paul talks about we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We need to understand how the devil operates. What the, devil's, what the devil is in the business of doing is trying to destroy our faith. He wants to see you and me go back into the world. He doesn't want us to live for the Lord. And so Peter here is picturing that very, that very state. But then note, if you would, in the third place, we talk about the culprit, the charm of the world, the charm of the devil. But then note the captivity. Look again at what Peter said. He said, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. What happens? We come out of the world, we go back into the world. We obeyed the gospel, and then for whatever reason, because of any number of things, we choose to leave the Lord, we go back into the world, and we are thus once again a captive of the devil. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, the Apostle Paul talks about the servant of the Lord. And he talks about how the servant of the Lord will sit down with somebody who is not living, who's not living right, and talk to them and encourage them to come to repentance. And Paul talks about how that the person who has gone into apostasy, that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him to do his will. Verse 26. If you go back into the world, here's what you need to understand. You're back in prison. And Satan is the one who has put you back in prison. You've been liberated, you were set free, but now you're back in bondage. You're back, you're back, you're back in, in captivity. You have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. How sad to see somebody who at one time had been a faithful child of God, whose sins had been washed away, who is living a productive, fruitful life in the kingdom of God only to go back into the world to live a life of bondage. And bear in mind that those who are living in sin, they are living in bondage. Jesus said that those who commit sin are literally the bondservants of sin, John 8, 
at verse 34. So when you are, when you are back in the world, when you go back into the world, you're really detained by Satan. You're under his, you're under, well, you're under his control once again. He's now your master. He's your Lord. And I want you to think with me in the third place of our end in the world. And really, here's, here's what we need to, to really focus on for just a moment. If you were baptized into Christ, and for whatever reason, you made the conscious decision to go back into the world, and you need to understand you are you're living a life of doom. You're on a street that is nothing more than a dead-end street. And so, with that in mind, listen to, what, listen to what Peter said. Go back and read with me verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, listen to him, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. First of all, I want to talk to you about the state of apostasy. Peter here is saying that if you go back into the world, that you are, as we said a moment ago, you're entangled once again in that way of life. You have turned aside from the holy commandments that had been delivered unto you. Let, let me just pause here and make this observation. Apostasy is not something that occurs overnight by and large. I don't think somebody goes to bed at night and says, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to be an unfaithful, unproductive member of the body of Christ. I don't think that's how it happens. I think that there are steps that occur along the road to apostasy. And let me give you some, some earmarks of apostasy. Number one, if you quit reading the Word of God, you quit, you quit spending time in God's Word on a regular basis, you are well on the road to apostasy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The psalmist said in, one, in Psalm 119, 11, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. How much time do you spend daily in the word of God? Do you spend time in this book? Do you read and study the scriptures on a regular basis. Peter said over in chapter 3 verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're not growing in Christ, if you're not growing by feeding on the word of God, then you're backing up. And if you're backing up, you're backing up into the world. Number two, how regular are you in your worship to God? Now, I know that there are a lot of people that in our day and time will minimize the importance of the worship service. But there are some byproducts or benefits to the worship service that cannot be discounted. If you go back and read Hebrews chapter 10, you'll note that the Hebrew writer links apostasy to the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. There is a direct correlation 
between absenting from the worship services and apostasy, going back into the world. Now, I understand that really the people that need to hear this are the ones that need that. Well, the ones that need to hear it are the ones that are present on Sunday morning because sometimes they don't come back on Sunday night. But I'm simply saying that if you want to know what some of the earmarks to apostasy are, one is you just stop reading the Word of God. Number two, you stop coming to worship services on a regular basis. Just start finding excuses as to why you can't come to worship. The more you miss, the easier it becomes. And guess what? Before you know it, you're on the outside looking in. It happens every day. It's happened to many people within the body of Christ. A third, a third earmark that will lead to apostasy is if you're not involved in the work of God, in the work of the church. Every member is vital within the kingdom of God. All of us have a part in the work of the church. All of us, whether, whether young or old, doesn't matter. You and I can be fruitful and productive in the kingdom. There's something that we can do to advance the cause of Christ in this community. There's something that we can do to bring honor and glory to God in this congregation, in this community. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How involved are you in the work of the church? If you're not involved in evangelism in some form or fashion, if you're not involved in edification to some extent, if you're not involved in benevolence, those are the three spheres of service in the church. There are no other works of the church. Those are the three areas of work. If you're not involved in one of those areas of work in the church, then don't be surprised if you find yourself unfaithful to the Lord. Busy and happy in the kingdom of God. If you're busy, chances are you'll stay faithful to the Lord. But having said that, we talk about the state of apostasy. Peter is talking about this state of apostasy, but then he talks about the severity of apostasy. Listen to what he says. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What do you think Peter's saying there? Let me tell you what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, if you go back into the world, my friend, you are in serious trouble. If you make the decision to leave the Lord Jesus Christ and His church, His blood-bought body, you are on serious, you are in serious, serious trouble. You're on perilous grounds. Think about what Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 47. He talked about the servant who knew his father's will and did it not. Made no preparation to do his will. Do you know what he said? He will be beaten with many stripes. We talk about degrees of punishment. I think the Bible teaches degrees of punishment. I think Peter here is emphasizing the severity of apostasy. Jesus is talking about it. What happened? Well, look at verse 15, 2 Peter chapter 2. They have forsaken the right way. They've gone back into the world. They've left the Lord. We talk about the severity of an apostate. In Hebrews chapter 10, 
the Hebrew writer asked the question, how much sore punishment shall he be worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has been sanctified an unholy thing and done despite under the Spirit of grace? The Hebrew writer is simply saying, if you choose to go back on your allegiance to the Lord, you're in serious trouble. If you go back, you're in serious trouble. And let me just say this, you don't want to go back. Can you imagine standing before the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of judgment? And the Lord Jesus Christ looking you in the eyes and asking you the question, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? Why did you become unfaithful to me? You had been baptized into Christ. Your sins had been washed away. You enjoyed fellowship with God. You had all the blessings and favors of Almighty God. And then you, you walked away from all, all of that. Do you not think the Lord is going to hold you responsible for that? Do you not think that Peter here is emphasizing the severity of apostasy? And look at verse 22, a very repulsive picture. He said, it's happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit again, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's probably nothing more repulsive than seeing a dog vomit and then turn around and lap it up. And that's the picture that Peter is using to describe a child of God who's been washed in the blood of Christ only to go back into the world. He's saying it is a repulsive picture. Or think about a sow. You take a sow out of a pig pen, you clean him up, and then you, you set him free, and what happens? Before you know it, he's back in the mud pile again. Well, Peter's saying, that's the picture of an apostate. What I want to do is appeal to us to be faithful. Here's what Jesus said, be faithful until death. And the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. Does that mean that we're not going to face adversities and hardships in life? No, it does not. James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Are you faithful to Christ tonight? Maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you're not what you ought to be. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Make the decision right now that you're not going to live unfaithful any longer. You're going to repent. You're going to come back to God. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. James said confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we encourage you? Could we encourage you to come home to God tonight? Think about the prodigal son, that beautiful reunion pictured in Luke 15 you could once again be back in God's favor, in God's graces. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not, you're not a Christian. What would you need to do? Well, why not do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 4-7. Why not come as we stand and sing?